Hello and welcome to Table Talk Radio. This is Table Scraps with Pastor Brian Wolfmuller and I am joined on the phone by Dr. James Nestigan. Dr. Nestigan is a professor at Luther Seminary, a professor emeritus of church history. Uh, he was an, he's been an instructor from 1976 to 78, two years an assistant of St. Ansgar Lutheran Church in Toronto, Canada. Uh, he's back at Luther Seminary to teach history in 1980. He was named Professor of Church History in 1992 and Professor Emeritus of Church History in 2006. Uh, at, at the time of our recording now, Dr. Nestigan is on campus at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana to give a uh, some instruction on Luther. I believe it's on the Catechism. Uh, is that right, Dr. Nestigan? I'm teaching a course on Luther and Walther on Law and Gospel. Well, fantastic! And so, welcome oh. to the welcome to the program. We're glad to have you with us. Yeah, glad to be here. It's wonderful to be back in Fort Wayne, and I'm delighted to do this with you. Uh, what is I was uh, to start things off? What's your first uh, your favorite story about Luther himself and his life and theology? Well, I suppose. Uh, Asking a question like that is asking which kid you love the most. <laughs> it's a little difficult, but one of my favorites is um, um, on the involves the doctrine of law. Luther was Wittenberg, of course, was famous for its prostitutes, and um, this led um, Duke George to say no Reformation was ever going to come out of a hole like Wittenberg. Um, uh, Luther one time caught some of his seminarians um, taking those uh, professional women up to the woods with him and with them, and he called them into his office, um, <laughs> and he said, "What's the matter with you fellows? Aren't I giving you enough work to do? Um, do you have time for this? Um, I'm apparently going to have to increase your homework." <laughs> Which is a novel solution to an old problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there you go. Study more theology so you don't have yeah. time for that. What yeah, about, there you go. <laughs> what about this? When, when someone asks, I get this question all the time because nobody knows what a Lutheran is unless you're in the Midwest. And, uh, and uh, yeah. I'm a Lutheran pastor. People say, well, what in, what in the world is Lutheranism? How, how do you answer that question? Uh, Lutheran in, Luther, Lutheranism is centered around the proposition that Jesus loves sinners. And the whole way of thinking is, uh, and believing centers on declaring this word. Jesus loves sinners, forgives sins, delivers from death and the devil, and raises the dead. And um, so it's a, a very much oriented towards the declaration of the freedom of the gospel and the down-to-earth life of living in your vocations. That seems pretty simple. That, that's always one of the things that really strikes me about our faith, our, our Lutheranism, is that it's so simple. Uh, oh, it's very direct, yep. It, which is, so it has this ability to be marvelously profound. What I what I never understand is how everyone can, can mess it up. Even Lutherans themselves mess <laughs> yeah, this up. Right, exactly. I mean, this is the old Adam's art, you know, the old the, the devil's art to confuse law and gospel and to leave us hanging. Um, but Christ Jesus protects us from this and comes always to clarify his word, to set it out plainly, and to free us. Now, uh, both, you mentioned you're lecturing on Luther and Walther. Both would give examples of mixing law and gospel, and it seems like that um, our, our cultures and our times, our different theological inclinations will 
will manage to mess up law and gospel in um, in some kind of identifiable ways. Right. How, how about this? What's the biggest confusion of law and gospel that you see in the church today? Uh, you can always spot it because it begins with an if, um, um, <laughs> and it use, involves the word enough, <laughs> genuine. <laughs> I mean, if you do this, then uh, God will reward you. God has done all this, and if you believe it, it will be yours. I mean, you know, you right away you hear a confusion of law and gospel because the the promise is appended with a condition. Oh, I see. So, so that um, it depends on our response or our reaction right. or our obedience. Well, this, or... is, this is the devil's art to shift all of the all of the emphasis from Christ Jesus and his love and his grace and his benefits to us. <laughs> As if the old Adam is supposed to make the new one. That's, I mean, the, the, the devil thrives by convincing of, a, of us of this. That if we real, really apply ourselves, if we're really genuine, if we really, uh, you know, are, are sincere enough... <laughs> that we'll become new persons, and all of that is a crackahooey, you know. Right, that, that the old Adam has the opportunity to, re- to reform, and it seems to me like, uh, you know, you get these prisoners uh, that are being condemned to death, and then uh, they really try to straighten up just for the chance of getting out and committing their crime again, and that's the perfect definition of the old Adam. Yeah, that's exactly right. You, you know, blood will show. So when the old Adam tries to make the new one, the new Adam is really the old Adam in drag. I mean, he's just, you know, <laughs> uh, the old Adam is just putting on new makeup, <laughs> strutting and prancing and shaking and jiggling, you know. I mean, that's nothing but uh, the old, same old story, a little bit louder, a little bit longer, a little bit worse. <laughs> that's a, So the Luther solution would be to give the uh, to give the old Adam a bit more homework. I think that's probably what repentance is. <laughs> well, Luther's solution in that case was to keep those guys occupied so that the old Adam didn't get a chance to run. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I wanted, we wanted to talk a little bit about law, gospel, and Lutheran social ethics. This has been something on my mind lately, but let's maybe just an entryway into this um, is I want to know why Luther spent so much time in the large catechism on the Ten Commandments. I mean, you take up the large catechism and you go to read it, and mm-hmm. it's over, mm-hmm. what, it's three-fourths on the Ten Commandments. Yeah. Well, uh, the first, um, uh, first of all, the law is written on our hearts, I mean, as Paul says, and so um, basically um, we know it, and you wouldn't think it would take so much emphasis, but in fact... You know, we always think we're the exception to the rule and that the commandment is for our neighbors and not for us and that, you know, and that we can interpret and so on. And so um, Luther, um, you know, has to clarify and to set out plainly um, what these requirements are and... uh, in the commandments, Luther is making explicit what, what's implicit um, in creation. He's, um, he's taking that and, time to kind of pin down the old man and say, look, you can't weasel out of this. It's, it's right. going to come and condemn you. Uh, well, uh, exactly. what, 
what I think is kind of is when Luther switches from the commandments to the creed. He he goes and he says, "Now we have in the creed that what the Lord gives us, what He commands in the ca- in the in the right, exactly. commandments or something like yeah, that." Yeah, beautiful. What I what I think though is stunning about this is when Luther is bringing uh, forth the Ten Commandments, he's not doing it individually. I mean, there's an individual application there, but he's doing it uh, saying, "Look, this is how our communities." Uh, or this is how our even how our towns. This is how the government ought to run. I mean, he's making uh, he's making social uh, conclusions based on the Ten Commandments. But- oh, absolutely. I mean, there's there's a place it, uh, I, I don't remember the citation offhand, but he says if you if you want to be clean, you can't you can't get involved with the commandments because the commandments will inevitably draw you into the you know the stuff of everyday life and into the into the dirt and the difficulty <laughs> which you is know, it's they're inherently social so that that even the first commandment you know um, which speaks of our relation to god involves our neighbor in one way or the other because you know it reminds us we're not to make ultimate claims for penultimate things and so, you know, we're caught up in the community. We live as part of the community, and and the commandments address us in relation to the community. You you were talking about the first commandment there. Luther says that there's never been a society so wicked as to not have some sort of God, some sort of worship. I think he says right. that in his explanation. Uh, uh, now, can you convince me that that's true? Oh, I th- uh, um, you know, it, it depends on how you define God. Every... Every community, you know, there are communities that don't make idols, I suppose you could say, but, but um, you know, every community will deify something. Um, it will say, you have to have at least this much, or you must do at least that much. And, you know, whatever claims uh, ultimate loyalty, as Luther says in the large catechism, is your God. It's, it's It may be... Uh, you know, a particular uh, form of idolatry that's readily identifiable, the worship of images, but it may also be um, the worship of structures and systems. Yeah, so like a godless state like communism would set itself up, itself up as God. Uh, it's yeah. God, it's absolutely right. It's claiming it's claiming obedience, it demands the trust of its adherents, it's, you know, it's... it's it's um, you know not an idol in the same sense as a Buddha, but it's a god in the sense you know in Luther's senses. He, where, whatever that to which your heart clings, I say, is your god. Whatever you entrust yourself to is your god. Yeah, that now this is something I've been thinking about later uh, lately, and you could help me with this too. Uh, I was reading the Catholic Catechism, and under the seventh commandment, it says that uh, here God gives and protects the gift of private possessions, and so the ideologies of socialism and capitalism are forbidden by the seventh commandment. Now, the Roman Catholic Catechism goes on to kind of outline their own. Uh, kind of monetary governmental system, which you know, there's some questions there, but but at least they're taking the commandments and they're making a social application. You read yep. our commandments, uh, our catechism on the seventh commandments, and it's it's almost all completely individualized. This means you, as a Christian, don't you're not lazy at work. You work hard to support your family. You don't take anybody else's stuff, and and it stops there at the individual. Now, what's going on there? Why? How have we lost? Well, this if you ability? read the in the in the small catechism. Uh, Luther's writing for um, 
fathers and, and mothers, of course, by extension, to use in relation to the family. And so he's got the explanations pared down to the essentials. So, for instance, in the Seventh Commandment, um, you know, there's some, there's some necessity of property, um, bare minimum. I mean, you can, we if uh, if my wife steals my covers at night, I don't sleep. And so, <laughs> when I'm when I'm sleeping with a con- convicted cover thief, the seventh commandment has to come and protect me. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's a bare minimum kind of thing. In right. the large catechism, right away, Luther begins to talk about public structures. For instance. Um, you know, uh, systems in which the business community exploits by marketing shoddy merchandise and char- over, uh, charging, you know, high prices for um, mediocre stuff and so on. It's, it, it, he begins with the individual, but you can hear him moving all the way out, um, you know, into the larger community and following the commandment as it moves, because the, commun- the commandment is inherently social. It's it's um, he wants to teach. He, he's teaching the children um, and fathers and mothers in relation to their children. But you know, the further he goes, the more radical the implications become. I think, and I think this is the thing that disappoints me: is you have it so clearly in Luther, but we just don't have that today. I mean, who- no, no, that's exactly true. Of course, we, you know, Luther was a pre-modern person. He was. Um, he, uh, for him, the community was in the structures of everyday life. He lived in a small town, relatively small town. It was a city, but by legally, but it was about 2,500 people. So, so it, you know, it wasn't that big. I mean, and the, um, uh, he was, uh, the community was big enough, small enough so that the community was everywhere present. Um, that's late medieval, early modern life, um, you know, where life is inherently social. Um, since the Enlightenment in the 18th, 19th century, the the goal has been technologically, socially, politically, in every way to detach the individual from the community. And the whole concept of rights is, you know, develops out of the Enlightenment for that purpose to to free the individual as an autonomous agent. Hmm. And so the source of that is uh, contemporary assumptions. When when you say, you know, when we make a statement like this, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are endowed with certain inalienable rights. Right away the community has been um, atomized. And it's down to the individual, but then you have the kind of opposite um, motion in society, which is this fascist social socialism. Or oh yeah, fascism. sure. This you know, the one will promote the other, absolutely. And and everyone becomes bound together into the into the one. You know, we're, oh, yeah, uh, uh, exactly. Uh, it's it's, it's uh, troublesome, troublesome either way. I mean, this is. Um, one of the best ways to think about this comes from, uh, in my mind, a very unlikely source. Um, um, Paul Tillich, who I don't respect very much theologically, uh, said that this was, you know, used to argue that this was an inherent tension in life between the individual and the community. 
if you fall off on the individual side, as we've done, you destroy the community. And if you fall off on the community side, you destroy the individual. It's, and it's, so, so it, the two have to be kept always in tension. You can't resolve that. You just keep working at it, you know. That is a, a marvelous insight. I uh, so that you have uh, on the one side this kind of uh, name uh, removing, communalizing kind of tendency. Where exactly, uh, and and then on the other side you have this kind of autonomy, which is undoing the any sort of sense of obligation to the neighbor. And what the commandments do is they hold us in the middle. Uh, they keep us in this tension. That's exactly right. They. They address the individual in the context of the community, and consequently, um, you know, they um, they point both directions, you know, to our individual lives, uh, lives and to our public lives. Yeah, Luther said that you have the law either two ways when you don't have it without the gospel. Either you have it kind of veiled, and so you have a soft kind of pansy law that allows you to be a, a Pharisee or a legalist, and then you have the law in its full ferocity— which which takes you all the way to despair. That's that's the only way you have it. But it seems to yeah. me like the Church of the Gospel can have the law as it's meant to be. In other words, the law can come to us in its fullness. Yes, yes, yes. That's good. I like that. You, when you know what the gospel is, you're trustworthy with the law. If you don't know what the gospel is, you start expecting the law to do things it can't do. Which I think means that because we can have this realistic view of the law, that Lutherans ought to be able to put forth a kind of, and I don't know if this is the right language to use, but we can put forth a social ethic. Or just say it like this, we can put forth the Ten Commandments in their clarity, uh, not just for individuals, but also for our communities and for, and for the state. Well, that's a lot of fun. I think that's a lot of fun. It's, you know, there's um, one of the wonderful things that Concordia Publishing House is doing is um, printing a translation of Elbrick Pater's great work on the Catechism. Um, that's an absolutely wonderful source for studying the commandments. Um, there are some others, um, Luther's Catechism, of course, being the best, but uh, the um, there's uh, Herbert Gergenson does a pretty good job on the commandments in his teaching Luther's Catechism. Um, I always recommend to my students, or I'm retired now, of course, but I still have a few. The, I always urge pastors and um, you know, and uh, to uh, they ought to preach through the commandments once a year, completely, all ten, and with what God says concerning these commandments, um, and that the commandments ought to, you know, ought to be set before the congregation. Routinely, so that people, you know, they're always there. And when you do that, um, then you're. It's, it's uh, the commandments are something like the multiplication tables. Uh, you know, you you just can't. There's there's no. Um, you you they're they're whether they're explicit or implicit, they organize and discipline the Christian life. Yeah, that's. I mean, we we there's a tendency to kind of reduce all the commandments down to one. Uh, in other words, the whole of the Ten Commandments, they all say, "Well, you're a sinner," and that's true. Yeah. I mean, they do say that, yeah. but they each remain their own commandment. And oh, this is, uh, you know, the distinction between the first and the second use of the law is made to protect both. Um, Luther Luther developed the concept of uses, and he when he speaks of first use or civil use of the law, he's describing the law as it makes requirements. The law has an integrity there. It's uh, it's as Paul 
requirements are are extraordinarily helpful, and they're helpful in that they you know they make clear the minimum conditions of creaturely life. That is, with these are they they have to do with our lives in relation to God and our neighbors, and they specify. Um, the second use can eat up the first use. That is, when the law becomes a when it gets loose in its accusing power, it can hammer away so uh, with such power that we lose sight of these requirements and just get the collapse in despair. Um, the first use has to be protected. At the same time, the second use has to be recognized because, you know, um, the law, the Ten Commandments are never tame. You can't put them on a leash or a harness. Right. It seems like yeah. a strange kind of antinomianism, though, to just have the second use. Uh, because then, like you said, you're missing the first, and, and in a way you're without the law then. Uh, uh, well, if <laughs> I don't think that's possible because the, I mean, the, the second use is not under our control. It's out there, it's loose, and it's doing itself. I mean, the antinomians hide their head and say the second use is gone. Luther says it's a play put on in an empty theater. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, but the first, but, so it's going to be there. But, um, uh, you know, usually in an unstated and therefore a much more vicious way. Yeah. Now we're talking about Lutheranism and social ethics. Uh, we're with Dr. Uh, James Nestigan, uh, Professor Emeritus of Luther Seminary, and we were, we were talking about the Seventh Commandment, but look, I think we have we got some more that we, we could talk about then as well. Oh, it seems for like, sure, you bet. Uh, the, the big debate these days is the Sixth Commandment, uh, yeah. the Fifth Commandment with abortion, and all of these come from the Fourth Commandment, which is this structure, both a family and authority that the Lord gives. Right, yeah. Um, What's what? By the way, is going on since I can ask you about this in the ELCA and the Sixth Commandment? Well, it's kind of humorous, actually. If it wasn't so disastrous, I mean, the, what's happened is that the Sixth Commandment is been is regarded as having been suspended. That is, sexuality has been identified as an entertainment center, and. Um, you know, the Sixth Commandment as a relic of ages past. And so the notion is that sexuality is a vehicle to fulfillment and everybody's entitled to fulfillment and therefore there can be no legitimate law restraining it. The interesting thing is that with the dismissal of the Sixth Commandment, a thousand uh, smaller <laughs> commandments have come to replace it. Uh, replace it. Um, when you dismiss the Sixth Commandment, then women aren't safe and men aren't safe, and so you've got to make all kinds of rules about um, what happens when a woman is in a professor's office. She, the door can't be closed. The windows have to be open. There can't be. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I never <laughs> you know, thought about that. You know, it's just dumb. So, you know, they think you're going to find a way around Moses, and Moses multiplies. <laughs> So, uh, uh, so, so all of these rules uh, are put in place because we've lost the the main thing, which is uh, a chaste and decent life. Exact. Uh, I mean, this is exact. The purpose of the sixth commandment is to distinguish between your friends and your marital partner. Um, you should give yourself to your friends in the way that you can get yourself back again. So you don't give yourself to your friends sexually, um, because when you give yourself sexually, you're irretrievable. 
You become part of that person's history. That person becomes part of your history. In the even the uh, people who are studying AIDS say that you're you are part of the history of every sexual partner you've ever had, <laughs> and you bear that person in your body. You see, so so this the sixth commandment says, "Let your friends be your friends." On the other hand, it says, "Let your marital partner be your marital partner." Your marital partner. That is, give yourself to your marital partner in such a way that you can never give yourself back, get yourself back again. <laughs> you know, you give yourself to your marital partner sexually, and then you're irretrievable, see. Then then you you share your sexual history together for a lifelong. Ooh. And the companionship, the joy, the gift just gets better and better, <laughs> you know, because of the, it begins, the relationship begins to build up inertia and pretty soon you've got a history that's unfolding behind you and hopes that are arising ahead of you and that's just beautiful. So, so it's to protect us from confusing our friends with husband or wife. And this is, I mean, uh, you, you mentioned at the very beginning that we see, we understand modern, Modern folk understand sexuality as a kind of an amusement park sort of thing, but yeah, exact. It's Walt Disney of the grain, you know. It's also though, uh, it in the Bible we understand it that it's to bring forth life. That there should be some oh, children well, involved in this business. The first thing Christ Jesus does as He redeems us is to claim our bodies. You know, our bodies are not our own; they belong to Him, and therefore His use. And so. You know, one of the first signs, one of the of some of the first evidence of the new birth is that we finally figure, get our hands out of our crotches. You know, hmm. I mean it? that's that's a. I mean, you know this. I mean, this. Uh, you know this. The um, the marketeers are, are trying to sell products by harnessing sexuality, and you know the result of this is that. You know that women are humiliated publicly, and men are humiliated publicly. You know, women being treated as objects and men being reduced to observers, and that's just awful. So, what we represent in the church is a life in which you can rejoice in your beloved. <laughs> And that beloved is a man or a woman, and if you're a man, it's a woman. If it's a woman, it's a man. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. <laughs> They're yeah. not interchangeable parts. This is how, I mean, it's kind of a stunning thing in the scriptures, that, uh, and just in history, too, that the breaking of the sixth commandment is often followed by the breaking of the fifth commandment. So Absolutely. You, They're tied up. And, and how is that? What's the, what's the kind of internal logic there? Well, the logic moves, as you mentioned, it moves out of the fourth commandment. The, command, the, the second table of the commandments begins with what is nearest and dearest to life. It begins with life itself. That is, it begins with the, the cradle, with the origin of life. And it seeks to protect life, you know, as it emerges. And so it says, honor your father and your mother that your life may be long. That is, that, so that life is cherished, preserved, protected, and you can live and the fifth commandment follows then you shall not murder i mean you that you shall not kill this is the fifth commandment is protects life as it moves out of the community uh, moves out of the family into the community 
so that the fourth commandment puts a shelter over the home and the fifth commandment puts a shelter over the community so that life is cherished now when we've when the commandments have protected what is nearest and dearest or what is what the origins of life they protect what is nearest and dearest to life itself that is true companionship thus the distinction between friendship and marriage the deepest companionship is in marriage and that 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 god intends also to be long <laughs> that is he does god in puts protection over marriage so that this when that you'll be able to see people married 50 and 60 and 65 and 70 years whose lives have so blended that they don't know the difference anymore hmm. i mean this is the joy this is a eschatological sign you know and so then but when when the old adam arises uh, sexually then the neighbors you know a woman becomes a receptacle and a man becomes a hunk right away they're depersonalized and they become merely occasions for self-realization and then everything begins to decay and in fact this abuse of the other sexually is very closely correlated with death um, that's even evident in the way um, uh, the pornography links sex and death and it's evident particularly in of course in cases of jealousy where death follows but it, it's there's a living death that takes place in the reduction of human life from its vitality to its representation you know yeah i want to follow up with that idea with two questions uh one is about abortion but before we get to that I, this um this idea that that unleashed sexuality uh is a breaking down of of society oh gosh yes it just destroys it which means that uh, from what i see it that act, that government and this i think is a completely missing thought even amongst uh conservative lutherans is that government and the state has some role in protecting um sexuality you know, of course it does do thus it even in a society as sexually dysfunctional as ours it protects against rape for example Right, uh, and, and I mean it regulates sexuality. Uh, it, it will always do that in one way or the other. Yeah, whether justly or unjustly, that's the question. Yeah, that's right. And that there's, I mean, just from natural reason, we ought to be able to understand that this is an important thing. But it seems like the the old Adam is so intent on having its uh, uh, having its lusts fulfilled that it's going to throw out any sort of sense of reason here and and stand up and fight against any law that limits its own. A kind of voracious appetite. Well, you hear the you hear the enthusiasm in the theological sense of the word, the the uh, Schwermer, as we say in German, or the Schwermerei, the plural, or the the you know those who think they've transcended themselves. You you hear that right away in the first slogan: "Our bodies are our own. Hmm. Our <laughs> bodies are not our own." Our bodies emerged in the womb of another as a result of a contribution, however brief, of another. Um, our bodies, you know, are shaped by the community, in the community, through a whole series of people in the family and in the schools. Um, our bodies belong to the community. They don't belong to us, 
and as, as Christians, our bodies belong to Christ Jesus. <laughs> you know, uh, He's got a hold of me uh, in my body uh, pre- precisely to make me useful. And when I start taking my body and using it as a you know an entertainment center, some sort of entitlement, um, it's just flat out rebellion. Now, the, we were talking about the connection between the Sixth Commandment and the Fifth Commandment, and I see that also with abortion. You have uh, the statistics. I don't, I don't know them off the top of my head, but an aborted baby is, a, is not um, at all normal for a married couple. Uh, so, no. that, so that abortion right. is just almost always the result of, uh, of adultery, breaking the Sixth Commandment as well. And so, again, murder right. follows... I was just the, talk, talking to one of my students at Fort Wayne from Russia. He said... Um, uh, seven out of ten pregnancies in Russia end in abortion. Ugh. I don't know the American statistics, but this is what happens, you know, when we begin to worship our bodies, we're worshiping something that dies, and we become the servants of death. And when we worship our bodies by, you know, shopping for sexual experiences and use reducing other people to extensions of ourselves, then, of course, we can only serve the Lord death because Christ Jesus, the triune God, bestows life. And when he bestows life, we have to stamp it out. You know, the rebel, the old sinner in us can't think of anything but freedom <laughs> for itself to do itself. And so... A pregnancy is it's the last thing it seeks, and when this pregnancy happens, then it has to be terminated, and then another dead child joins the ranks of all of those that have preceded it. We we have all of this wisdom there before us in the Ten Commandments. What? Absolutely. It's clear. You know, the, I mean, you can never run out of the Ten Commandments. You just... Um, when I, when I do a lot of walking, and when I walk, I meditate on the chief parts of the catechism and you know so every once a week I meditate on the commandments and you for an hour at a time and I've never I'll tell you every time I go back to the commandments I learn something that I hadn't seen before Hmm. I Hmm. mean they just you know you can't run out of them they they are the wisdom of life and they keep informing us about the shape of life one would hope that, that that Lutherans who were catechized in the Ten Commandments, that have the Ten Commandments, that grew up and had to memorize the Ten Commandments and this sort of thing, wouldn't um, uh, would understand some of the implications socially. But it seems like, and and I don't, I don't have the names and phone numbers of these guys, but it seems like a lot of the um, uh, the, the Midwestern politicians who are Lutheran um, uh, have abandoned their their catechism, have abandoned the Ten Commandments. And, oh yeah, I'm more worried about the pastors. I mean, I'm way more worried about the pastors. I mean, the, well, it's a good point. You know, yeah. you find you find. I mean, the politicians are politicians. You know, if you find a politician that knows the commandments, you just rejoice and give thanks because this is extraordinarily unusual. But when you find a pastor, you should find somebody that knows the catechism. And you know, often you know, often enough, um, I tell jokes about one of the commandments. Um, and and I discover the pastors counting on their fingers to try to figure out which one I'm talking. <laughs> you know, for instance, there's a wonderful joke about a a, a pastor that was um, that rode his bicycle around town, and he ran into the priest one day, and the priest said, "You don't have your bicycle." He said, "That was stolen from me." 
and the priest said, I'll tell you what you do. You preach a sermon, series of sermons on the Ten Commandments, and the thief will be convicted and return it to you. So a couple of days later, the priest saw the pastor, and he said, Ha, ha, I see you took my advice. You're riding your bicycle. Well, the pastor said it didn't work quite the way you thought it would. It worked. I, I, I was preaching on the Sixth Commandment, and I remembered where I'd left my bike. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I mean, that's a terrible joke, but it's, you know, the funny part of it is it's fun to tell because pastors don't get it. <laughs> I mean, it's so long since they studied the commandments themselves that they... Is it murder? When you find a good and faithful pastor who knows law and gospel, then you rejoice and give thanks, and you try to put a chain on that pastor's leg so he doesn't get away. Oh, that's good. I know. I saw that you're... Um... Uh, we'll leave the Ten Commandments and, and just end up with a gospel. I saw you're doing uh, Fireside Chat tomorrow on Luther and the Bondage of the Will. Yeah, for sure. That's fun. Uh, That's tonight, actually. Oh, good. Hi- highlight a couple points from the Bondage of the Will for us today. Well, we begin with this. that Luther's reasoning works like this. If Christ's death and resurrection are necessary to save sinners, then sinners can't save themselves in any other way. God, that's wait. We got to stop there because that is, I mean, that is stunning. That uh, that the that the, it's the death of Christ that reveals our own anthropology. Oh, it shows us our bondage. You know, I mean, if if we could have done it by the law, Christ would not. As Paul says, if if justification were by the law, um, Christ's death would not be necessary. So that the, it's because Jesus did it that we uh, that we know we need it. That's I mean, it's an incredible kind of logic. I mean, it's fantastic. Right, exactly. It follows right out of one. And so we say in the in the most beautiful words of the small catechism, we say, "I believe I cannot by my own understanding or effort believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to Him." See, we say that because the Holy Spirit has called us through the gospel. <laughs> And once again, you know, it's God's goodness that um, brings us to repentance. We start to see who we are. And if you don't know Christ Jesus, then, you know, you then you pre- preach like this. God has done a good thing for you, so you better decide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it always comes back to you if you yeah, don't see it, that. Well, it subject changes. It's no longer Christ and his kingdom. It's me and my works. And and that all if you don't have Jesus, all you can think about yourself is that you're sick or you have an inclination to sin. You can't get to the point that I'm a poor, miserable sinner and deserving no. of God's own wrath. <laughs> is it? G.K. Chesterton said that the most obvious thing about Christian theology should be the doctrine of original sin. But this right. Luther says the very opposite. He says even the depth of our sin has to be revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. We can't know That's any other. That's exactly way. true. That's exactly right. Otherwise, we just think it's bad conditions, or we say, I'll try harder the next time. Yes, so so we start... It's somebody else's fault. (laughs) The devil made me do it. Ridiculous. So we start with the cross, and we... Uh, and we end with the cross. It, the beginning and the oh. end is the, is oh, the death of Jesus. This is just beautiful. That's exactly true. We, Christ Jesus is Alpha and Omega, and we begin with Him. We end with Him. He is He is our life and our salvation. And so, you know, we as as the Apostle Paul says, we take every thought captive to serve Christ Jesus. That's that's our joy, and that's what Luther is doing in the bondage of the will. I mean, Erasmus wants to make a project out of himself. You know, I mean, good night. I mean, when you, I can give you some fairly graphic descriptions of how that works, but they're not fit for the radio, I'm afraid. I mean, the, 
Well, the self, when it tries to manipulate the self, just gets stuck on itself. Hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that's Erasmus. Or here's one of my favorite stories about the the a friend of mine told me about the Swedish bishop who was so glad that he was humble. But kind of sad that he was glad that he was humble, but oh, so glad that he was sad that he was glad that he was. Oh. <laughs> You know, you just wind up rotating around yourself like you're on a swivel. That is, the, I mean, kind of narcissistic character of all our modern psychoses is that you... That's exactly right. It's just narcissism writ large. And you and you don't even... You're, it's not that you're sad or you're happy. It's that you're sad that you're sad or you're happy that yeah. you're happy. And, and sure. there's yeah. not, you're not standing on anything. The, our Lutheran confessions, on the other... They'll give us... And they always pit these two things together. The, the glory of God and the comfort of sinners. So they'll That's say, our bad. doctrine uh, gives oh, all glory to God and... And all comfort to terrified sinners. That's exactly. That's just gorgeous. That's the whole purpose of Lutheran theology to, you know, to give give solely Deo Gloria, like Bach said. You know, to God alone the glory, and then to sinners alone the benefits of Christ Jesus. Well, we thank you for bringing that uh, that to us today, and th- and thank you so much for your time. Anything else? We we have a I don't oh, know. Oh, I'm glad to do this. It's a lot of fun. Thank you for your questions. Yeah, all the best to you. Yeah, you too, and say and hi to, to everyone. Your listeners too. God's peace. Thank you. Thank you very much, Doctor Nestigan. Yeah, good to talk to you. Thank you. Bye. Well, you heard it there. Our theology gives all comfort to to sinners and all glory to Christ. We we thank God. Uh, for that, that uh, that even though the law gives us instructions on how to live, it, it in the end, um, it kills us. But we are not left dead. The Lord Jesus comes to lift us up and give us newness of life, and He has done all of this uh, by the de- by His death and shed blood on the cross. Thanks everyone for listening to Table Scraps. Hope you enjoyed it. Please send questions to our uh, forum uh, that's at tabletalkradio.org. Uh, and we're happy to discuss this program further with you there.